Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 80 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Sam with Fowler Consulting. And I think, according to my license, I am Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. You have a license? I mean, actually, I'm a certified professional. Drew Helmholtz, <laughs> licensed to train. I like it. That's awesome, man. Well, That's listen, good, in this know. one, uh, we've got a treat for our listeners. We um, have been trying for about a year, I would say. To get uh, Brian Trier on the podcast, and he finally found some time for us and said yes. So we set aside about 30 minutes for that, and an hour later, after some really good discussions, we got done. So we're going to give you part one of that interview where Brian tells us all about his core four and the importance of product. Well, Drew and I are both in the camp that if you had to choose only one metric to look at, we would look at CSAT. Okay. What is uh, your argument against NPS? I don't have an argument against NPS. I like NPS as well. I think CSAT's, I think CSAT's a little broader, but I do like NPS because everybody uses NPS. Well, and that's exactly where I was going to go with that is okay. if you got a brand overall and you wanted a more consistent approach of you know people who are detractors versus promoters then that is the industry standard now you can argue that you know industry always changes over time and there is in research to say that they want to try to find better ways to think through you know the lens of nps uh, but for us inter you know internationally as a global brand nps is a better you know, metric just from the sense that it is a more standard approach. And CSAT is a calculated approach of a series of things that we roll up. And in CSAT itself, just if you're thinking through the number, if you're an eight or a nine, for example, I mean, that, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, you know, and um, but if your comp group, if you're an eight and your comp group's a nine, now what does that say about you? Well, you're doing well, but you could be doing better or people around you with like for like stores are doing better. If you have three stores and you're a franchisee and you're using just the top number, the number that is the score, and you look at that and go, well, I have one in a city, one in a non-city, one on a military base, you would get, if one was a seven, if all three were sevens, they mean different things. It could be. Absolutely. Yes. No, I'm with you. So that's why there's a bit of a danger in it. So the, the danger in CSAT is it's not like a score system where you look at it and go a seven is, you know, uh, if I go from seven to 7.5, yes, it's a positive improvement. Okay. You can say that, but if your comp group went from a seven to a nine, well, then you were behind the trend. What are they doing that you're not doing? And remember that that's for like, for like, you know, scenarios. So I like to think of it as grow yourself versus your comp is a nice way to pat yourself on the back. And if you're a multi-unit franchisee, don't only look at, don't try to compare three stores 
together. That would be an incorrect way to use it. Again, trends moving forward. Sure. If all three are nines, you're doing good. That's not the case for the most pe- most part. We get people in the, in the fives and sixes, people with sevens and eights and people do exact same, you know, this, the franchisee owns two stores, the one in an urban, one in a non-urban and one's a six and one's a seven. And the guy's punishing the six for saying, why aren't you a seven? And the, the six is saying, well, I, I've never been above 6.2, but my comp group's a 5.3. Right. And so that's where I think, you know, where NPS is a standard model. And uh, again, you know, you want more promoters than detractors at the end of the day. And, but I, I'm, I'm in the camp of any data you have that helps give you a lens on the customer is incredibly powerful data. Yeah, I love that. That's just that we're not disagreeing with it. it. It's it's actually the other way that there are so many metrics and so many things that you could do as a goal that it starts to become, well, which one do I focus on? Right. Because we just went through an interview with um, uh, five franchisees and Sam, we were given what, uh, 11 different goal metrics. So from our end, it was more the Apple model of if we go and say, you know what, the two things I want to measure on are CSAT and, and EBITDA, right. Or, or CSAT and insert, insert bottom line metric here, right. Percentage EBITDA, EBITDA dollars, whatever you want on that, on that piece. Right. I have two things and there can be so much stuff that feeds into CSAT and I can focus on those little things, but I've got to at the end drive that customer experience. And that's kind of where we were going with, with focusing on CSAT. The NPS, I completely agree from a compare it outside, right? If you want to look at brand versus brand or brand amongst brand, yep. NPS is there, but but that CSAT number, yeah, it does run the danger, right? I want to, I want to get better and maybe I'm, I'm way better than my peer group and I'm still a 6'2". That's cool. But, but if you can be a nine. Just remember the weight of your Google reviews and the age of your Google reviews that it uses in its computation could very well dilute the actual modern truth of where you are. Right. And so that's why there's a risk there. Whereas if you're taking a snapshot of NPS, it's at that moment in time, here's how you were rated. And so that's a, that, that could give you a slightly different take. But again, the caution there is, is it because of where you are? Is it your type of customer? Is it, you know, the type of store you are, are you urban where, you know, people have, you know, the, the more, more likelihood to use that type of technology because they're used to it versus a non-urban environment where, you know, Hey, you know, there's no competitors really here to me. So, or lower level, there's always competitors, but lower level of competition. So you're not as sophisticated or need to be as sophisticated. You know, I think the top line NPS and the top line CSAT numbers are a great thing from a 30,000 foot view. And then you go in and you look at all the other metrics to see why you're trending up or down. And if we start doing the things because our customers are telling us that's what we want, man, I just have a hard time finding an argument for why that would be bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and definitely, you know, listening to your customers, uh, but also taking the time and, and listening to your team members who are customers yes. as well as our team members. Absolutely. Um, you know, those are important elements to, to think through always. Um, sometimes the answers are right under your nose. You're just not listening. I have watched many people share with me their bonus plans and their structures and how they incentivize things. And there might be eight things they're trying to measure on there. And they kind of just say, wow, you know, maybe a MBA or PhD student can figure all that out. Um, but what's, what's something that's really going to make a difference that you can focus on? And maybe if you just focus on one thing on the top, and then of course EBITDA, which everyone likes to make sure they're, they're focused on because that's what drives our business, right? Or at least the ability to grow in our business. 
then if you if you make it a theme, what if you did in one quarter a focus around product? And in the next quarter, you make a focus around service. And then the next quarter, you make a focus around making sure we know how to leverage our technology. If you just did a bit of a cycle and then you said, you know, at the end of the day, the ops assessment, and I know that was one of the topics you want to talk about. So the ops assessment is measuring your four walls. At the end of the day, our value equation is still the same. Product, service, and image over the value price that they pay is what consumers give us credit for. And so, you know, we have debated that technology is part of the value equation. And I believe it is personally today that if a consumer finds that their technological experience isn't up to speed, no matter how beautiful your pizza, they found it a difficult um, a path to get to a destination, right? I, I could get my pizza to my house. Granted, it was a beautiful pizza and granted you got it to me in a fair time. Uh, it was, it was really annoying placing an order with you. So that noise is there, but there's nothing the store can do about that. Right. And so these are these, things to think about in the value equation. I think as we think about our listeners, the exact opposite of that statement is true too. I, and, you know, you probably see way more stores than we do, but my experience over the last couple of years, and not as a whole, but is that we've forgotten that the technology and the load and go and the cutting edge is all about getting the consumer our pizza faster I think we've forgotten the importance of what Tom taught us back in 1960, that product, service, and image is what's going to drive the business. I think all the things we've come up with in the last 10, 15 years are amazing. At the end of the day, we're a restaurant. And if our food's not good, it doesn't matter how good our path to order is. So I, I'm with you that our path to order has to be great. And I think, I think we do that as well as anybody and we're always looking for improvements. And I think what our listeners need to focus on is not what is Ann Arbor doing to make online ordering better or make the app better, but what am I doing inside my four walls to make a pizza that meets rim size portion placement bake? Because if I can't do that, then I've got a $5,000 set of wheels on a $200 car. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I guess for me, the focus, so you're absolutely spot on. And, you know, I like the statement around focus on things that you can control and things that really matter, but also don't forget that that CSAT score includes things. And so if a focus is placed on CSAT, understand you may have made the best looking pizza. You may have had excellent service, but the customer is angry because for whatever reason, their credit card got charged twice or their order was placed and nobody, nothing happened. They didn't go out, you know, they, they weren't able to complete it. So they did it again. And next thing you know, they're getting two orders delivered to them. So. You know, these are these things that just think about, but absolutely, if the core listener here is the person making the pizzas in the store, start with your product. I could share with you something that I, I, I played around a bit with folks and I, I called it my core four. And I use each of the different elements of the business, the product, service, image, safety, technology, equipment, you know, those types of things all the way through. But the first one I started with was product. And I just said, I'm going to give you four things to focus on. And these four things don't cost any money. You don't need any batteries. You don't need an IT department. You don't need to go renovate anything. You don't need to go buy anything. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to have ambient temperature pizza sauce. Stop using cold pizza sauce. It's destroying your product. Make sure your dough is properly proofed and is ready to use. It is the correct shelf. And if you don't know how to do that, there's plenty of videos online. There's plenty of people that can help you. You know, so make sure that's done. Make sure your ovens are the right time and temperature for the model that they are, because that's a very simple thing. You don't need any difficult equipment to look at a thermostat and say, this is what it should be. And then the fourth thing on there is use cheese that's thawed. If you just did these four things every day, 
every day. And I will tell you that one of the biggest things that we see on the ops assessment is product is not meeting expectation or standards. These four things impact that product any day of the week more, right? And so you might know how to stretch a pizza, but if you're using expired dough or dough that's too young, it ain't going to be perfect. It's not going to be a Domino's pizza. It's going to be kind of like a Domino's pizza, but it's not our Domino's pizza. So just try those four things for your listeners on the call. Go back and grade yourself when you go into your store and walk into the walk-in. And I, here's a typical day. I was in a market a couple of weeks ago, I opened a walk-in door and there are five tubs of tomato sauce, pizza sauce sitting inside the walk-in and it's four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, why would you do that? So just th- I thought I would throw that one out. Because 10 years ago, somebody told them to prep sauce on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> And because they never want to run out. So they'll always have those five buckets. Well, that's like, you know, let's order, you know, a gazillion Coca-Colas and keep them in the back because I have all this extra space. You know, I was blessed to have a big store and you kind of walk in and the franchisee looks at you and goes, you know, there's this thing called a bank. You know that that money that usually is in the bank is now sitting on my floor and I'm looking at it. How do you expect me to pay you next week? Um, and, and that was a valid lesson I learned when I worked for a franchisee right at the beginning. I was kind of, it, you never, you know, I was like, I just never want to run out of Coke. And it's like, well, when Coke goes on special at Myers, do you buy a pallet and leave it in your garage? Of course you don't do that. So, you know, so like, these are these moments where you try to help folks through that. And then they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. For our listeners that may not know of one Brian Trier from the mothership, <laughs> can you give us the three to five minute uh, resume for the folks listening. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I, I uh, never thought I would ever be working for Domino's pizza. I took the job in 1992 in October of 92. This is my 30th year with the brand. And um, I was studying engineering and I wanted to be an engineer to build planes and, 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 and do aerospace. And I needed a job that fed me quite frankly, and didn't cost me a lot of money. Didn't use a lot of my brain power. And I just needed to come in back then, you know, we were just making simple 10, uh, 12 and 14 inch pizzas. And we had breadsticks and Coke. That's what we sold. It was very simple. And uh, so I got this job at Domino's and um, started working there and fell in love with the brand, fell in love with the franchise uh, body that was there, a really amazing group of gang. Uh, and they offered me uh, to be a partner in a store, uh, you know, in, in exchange for me running it. And I switched to business school and left engineering. You know, they got thrown out of my own family. And, you know, imagine that story. You tell you, you know, going to be an engineer. And I switched to making pizzas, guys. And what I tried to help people understand was I fell in love with the brand because of the people. At the end of the day, it was the people that won me over. And the brand, I had a feeling if I learn how to sell this really well, it's going to do really well here. So I started there, eventually moved on and, and won a bunch of different awards. Uh, something that not a lot of people know in uh, 97, when I was standing on stage, I had won manager of the year for the Americas region. Back then, we had different regions and international. Standing next to me was Don May. And he was the one who beat me out at the end for the final global award. So that's some stiff competition right there. I'll tell you, I don't mind losing to Don. That's <laughs> very well. Done very well. Um, but it, it wasn't until I started working for International and I walked into Don May's office that he had that same photo kind of of us. And I said, hey, see that kid next to you? That, that was me. And we have that same photo on our wall, which is really fascinating. So yeah, the little story there. So 12 years on the franchise side in Canada from Montreal, store 10650 was my first store in TMR. Franchisee was Paul Cote. And then uh, I got picked up by Paul Skinner, who some might remember. And he asked me and another guy you might know, Patrick Doyle, the two of them hired me and brought me to international. I wasn't two weeks 
on the ground with a payroll and they were already shipping me to a country where I couldn't drive on the other side of the road. We did not have like all the internet and technology that you have today. So I still remember, you know, how am I going to do this? Uh, moved my family there. My daughter's actually born in Australia and I worked with Don May and his organization. And my mission was to understand high volume mentality. That's a good place to do it. Yeah, it's a pretty good place. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen 14 phone lines, like 14 phones back then before we had all this online ordering. Fascinating. Uh, from there, I, I went on to just become a director in international. They moved me to Europe. I, I spent time there. I worked on the master franchise side. I ran Switzerland and um, I was asked to kind of really kind of help out in, in Germany. Uh, and then uh, Rich Allison asked me to come home and run the Americas region. So now we're in 2014. Uh, and so I, I showed up here on the shores of the United States. And even though I'm still an expat personally, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not from the U S I'm from Canada. So home, closer to home, but not yet home Had the pleasure of working for rich and uh, meeting everybody on the Americas region. And then when rich became CEO, uh, they asked me to take over this role here of operations, innovation, and support, which is really, it's the sum of all the pieces of our organization that support the front lines. And the innovation was brand new. We had a lot of innovation going on in technology, but none really protecting our operators. And so what we do is we protect our operators. We have our own operating advisory council, our, our OPAC board, eight franchisees that are there. And then um, Zach uh, on our team here runs the operations over at the dig. And his mandate is to find ways to make lives of our operators easier. And that's where we are today. So you mentioned the dig um, for our listeners that, um, get bombarded with TLAs and have no idea what they mean, our three-letter acronyms. Tell tell our listeners what the DIG is and how long it's been there. And I know as I pass it on M14, you can see that logo through the window that is just amazing. Yeah, Domino's Innovation Garage. And so DIG is where we call it. Uh, it's a building that we built uh, on land uh, that was provided for us. And we um, so we built this kind of standalone building with its own purpose. Uh, its purpose is really, and we built it, I believe it was just before COVID. We kind of cut the ribbon on it just before COVID started coming in. And so this intent was to have all of the innovators in one space. And that way, the technology people, the product people, the, the operators all can be in one area. And that way they would stay aligned and be more inclined to deliver things that people need. And we used to joke, we used to say innovation was happening to our operators as opposed to happening with our operators. And so you would show up at a store and there would be this thing there and someone would be like, I don't know, but somebody just dropped this thing off and we have no clue how to use it. And I'm looking at it and I go, well, it looks like a kiosk. And they're like, that's what it is. It's a kiosk. And I kind of said, well, well, did anyone invite you to like a training or anything? And they're like, no, they just left it here. So that, that type of stuff was going on. And so you can only imagine that obviously leadership did not uh, find that uh, a very effective way of delivering innovation. And so they, they created this group for us to, to kind of manage. And so now 50% of our time is consulting people in the building with an operational point of view. Hey, that's a great idea. Well, that's not so great of an idea. Here's some other ideas that you might want to consider. And then 50% of the time, the team are purely innovating themselves. The new ovens that we have coming out that are faster than five minutes, the new um, you know, innovations we're making with respect to our equipment packages, improvements to our cutting edge packages, um, this new combo unit that's going to be both the ready and set stations together. So we are making improvements so that we can get things working in a more efficient manner for our store. And in doing so, not require more batteries, not require more wires or, or LCD screens in the store. 
um, but really consolidating things, consolidating steps. That's amazing. On this innovation team, how much input would you say you're getting from operators out in the marketplace, franchisees and and, and folks that that will live with the innovations? Yeah, the great news is, um, you know, the eight franchisees on our ops advisory board are our sounding board from the franchise group. And obviously we use um, several different Team USA markets. Now we have one in our backyard here. So we do spend time here now. Um, everyone working on that team has an operations background. So come from our stores. And so they themselves also have a lot of experience in using, you know, our, our four walls or working in our four walls. Um, and so, you know, and of course we, we always have the ability to hear from our franchisees when they come up with new ideas and they send it to us. Uh, and so we're always open for lots of ideas. There's no shortage of ideas, by the way, there's plenty of ideas. Um, but the reality of it is, is, and, and perspective I always try to give people is, is what you're sharing, can we take that and can we make it, number one, sustainable? And number two, can we replicate it in other places? Or is it really just your thing that you're quite passionate about and you do it really well because you're passionate about it, which by the way, is really the secret sauce. Anyone that's passionate about something is going to make sure it works. So so can I replicate it and is it sustainable? And, and if so, I want to do everything I can to try to help. But the question that you have to ask yourself is, are there bigger things that we need to solve before we solve that? I would love to find ways to do things that take away packaging or take away, let's just call it less sold items, you know, to make them more, to, to make it more uh, easier on your make lines and stuff. But the, but the reality of it is, is consumers are asking us for these things. And so while it is a challenge for us, we still have a less complicated set of SKUs than well, the McDonald's or other, other QSR brands, you know, so the innovation that we're trying to do, like some of our new product lines that are coming up, we only added one SKU for that. We're using existing packaging. We're using existing ingredients, existing stuff, existing baking procedures. And in fact, it behaves a lot like another product we make. We just changed it from a protein to not a protein, you know, and, and all of a sudden I'm not giving away anything here. And, and so that, 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 um, that is clever in the sense that we created a very unique product that we feel is going to sell very well and has obviously very broad appeal without creating a hundred new things in a store for something to do. So obviously you're talking about the tots, you know, the feedback that I've heard from the stores is they're just amazing. That seems to be the same feedback we get everywhere we go when we talk about them. And it really doesn't matter which one of the versions you try they appeal to just about everybody who tries them. Um, I've not really seen anyone go, yeah, not going to happen. Um, so, you know, it, it's just such a staple ingredient. And when you mix it with some of the kind of ingredients that we're going to place with it, I think it actually, they've done a great job with the research team. They really have thought this one through and uh, they have tested it. We have been working on this for quite some time. So I'm very excited. Which recipe of the tots is your favorite? I know it's like choosing your favorite child, but it's okay. I like the one with the Philly steak on it. And for me, that's, you know, just because of who I am, I guess I like to have a little extra protein with my potato. I think that one was my favorite. Everyone you're asked is going to have their uh, favorite one. And, you know, I think for me, that one has the most flavor profile. So I'm a flavor person. I do enjoy a good flavor. Very cool. I, I too, am a fan of the one with the, the Philly on it. And that ends the first portion of our interview with Domino's Pizza's own Brian Trier. Make sure to catch segment two coming up shortly on drew and sam talk training as always i am sam 
with Fowler Consulting. And I am Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. Make sure you go out there and sell more pizza and have more fun. Bye-bye. Woo-hoo, see ya.